Well, as you know, for the last several weeks on Sunday nights, we've been looking at the parables that uh, Jesus taught. And I have to uh, go back and retract a statement. I think I have to retract a statement. Because I think I told you all that we were in the last parable that we were going to do. I don't think that's true. So it may be true. It may not be true. It depends on how I feel. Uh, But uh, we have been for the last three weeks or counting tonight three weeks looking at a trilogy. Well, actually longer than that. uh, A trilogy of parables that Jesus taught about lost and being found. The first one is the parable of the shepherd and the sheep. He had a hundred sheep. He gets back, he counts them, there's only 99. And he goes and he scours the countryside till he finds the one that was missing and comes back and has a party with his friends to celebrate that he found the sheep that was lost. Then Jesus tells the story of the woman who had the 10 coins and she lost one of the coins. And she lit a lamp and she swept the house and cleaned it, looked under everything until she finally found it. And when she found it, she got her neighbors together and wanted to rejoice because the coin that she had lost was found. And then the last couple weeks, we've been looking at the parable that we commonly call the parable of the prodigal son. And we've looked at it two weeks prior. We've looked at it, first of all, as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son from the view of the son who went away. And then last week we looked at the parable of the forgiving father from the viewpoint of the father who welcomed the son back and in fact actually went to uh, run to the son when he saw him coming. And there are many excellent lessons that we've learned and probably more that we haven't even covered in the first two ways to look at this parable. We talked about sowing and reaping. We talked about never getting too far away to repent. We talked about God welcoming us back as children. We talked about God not running after us necessarily, but he will run to us when we come back. And we talked about the unconditional love of the father. And tonight we're going to look at the parable of the judgmental brother. Now, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, or you may have it memorized from the last two times we read this. But we're beginning in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now we're going to stop right there. Because if Jesus had stopped right there, wouldn't that be a remarkable parable? Wouldn't that have been a great parable? As we studied the last two weeks, parable of the unforgiving or the forgiving father welcoming the son back, the son coming to his senses and coming back, being welcomed back, not as a servant, but as, as a son being restored to his rightful place, essentially. But we have to remember that this is not the purpose of the parable. All of this that we've just read is to set up the main point of the parable. And I think that sometimes when we read this parable, and even as preachers, when we preach about this parable, we gloss over what happens next so that we can get back to the good sounding stuff about the unconditional love of the father. But let's go back to the beginning of chapter 15 and remind ourselves why Jesus told these three parables, the sheep, the coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Beginning in chapter, verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, Now the tax collectors, and in my Bible, quote, sinners, were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, Jesus' point of the parable was really not so much about the son squandering the the money and going off, you know, to the foreign land. It really wasn't so much about even the father welcoming him back. The real point of the parable, the real reason Jesus told the parable was to get to the attitude of the older son. And I think sometimes Jesus, this parable of Jesus, gets kind of lost in the translation, as it were. You know, I know sometimes, this is, this is something that I know happens with me, as I, you know, maybe tell a story, maybe an illustration. And for many years from now, you're pro- you may remember that illustration, but you won't have a clue to what the point was that I was trying to make. How many of you have watched commercials on television? And you think, that's a pretty cool commercial. I really like that commercial. That's really neat. And then the commercial's over, and you have no idea what the commercial was about. Millions of dollars wasted, perhaps, in advertising. Well, and I think we fall into the same dangerous trap with this parable. That we get, and I'm not saying that the points that we've made aren't important. But they aren't the emphasis that Jesus meant for us to have. What Jesus really wanted us to understand and get from this parable is what happens next. So beginning in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry 
and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now we discussed last week as we talked about the son being so far away and and living that, that evil lifestyle and, and coming back and the father welcoming him. We talked about, you know, that many of us in here may not really, what's the word I'm looking for? Connect with that. You know, we may not really see ourselves in that. Because we say to ourselves, well, you know, I kind of grew up going to church. I kind of grew up doing the right thing. And I never really, I never really just disowned God and went away and lived this horrible lifestyle, sowed my oats as it were, and then, and then came back. That may not fit most of us in here. And so that part of the story may not, you know, really ring true to us as it were. Relate. That's the word I'm looking for. Where were you a minute ago? We may not necessarily relate to that. But I told you last week, if that's how you were feeling, to hold on a week. Because if we're that kind of people, if you're that kind of person who never really, you know, rebelled against God seriously and went off and just turned your back on him and came back. Then the problem we have, the danger we have, is falling into the trap of the older brother. And having the attitude of the older brother... Which, if you remember, as I've stated all since I began tonight, is the main purpose of Jesus telling the parable. And so I want us to learn some things, perhaps, tonight from the older brother. First of all, the older brother missed out on present joy. The son begins by telling his father that he had never even given him a goat for his friends. Why, this son of yours comes back and you feel the fatted calf. You know, the one that we were saving for the special occasion. The one that we were going to barbecue when we had a family dinner or whatever it was. And you went out and you killed that calf because this son of yours came back. You've never even given me a goat. What does the father say? Son, everything I got is yours. You wanted a goat? Just take a goat. You wanted the fattened calf? Take the fattened calf. Everything I have is yours. But the son was so blinded by whatever it was that was blinding him that he couldn't even appreciate the joy that the father's inheritance had given to him. Remember, notice, if you go back to, this is one of those things you may not get every time when you read it. You go back to the beginning of the parable and the younger son says, I want my inheritance. And it doesn't say that the father gave it to him. Does it? It says he divided it up and gave it to them. The older son had his as well. My guess is there was a goat in there somewhere. 
if he wanted a goat. But he was so bitter, he was so angry, he was so whatever was going on in his mind that he couldn't even appreciate and have joy in what he already had. All these years, the son had been so concentrated perhaps on on doing what he thought the father wanted him to do that he missed out on the joy. We can get so caught up as Christians. We can get so caught up in legalism. We can get so caught up in the letter of the law that we miss out on the joy that God intends for us to have here and now. You know, joy is a constant theme in the New Testament. You read over and over again, it talks about joy. And it's not talking speci- or exclusively about the joy later to come. It's talking about the joy that we have now as Christians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Yeah, love, joy. Joy. Number two, right? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Okay, I know the rest of them. Joy. And that's not talking about joy later on. We talked about joy later on this morning. And that's a fact. But God also intends for us to have joy here in this life. He has given us so many things to be thankful for. He has given us so many blessings here and now. You know, I understand poetic license. And, you know, that when writers of poems or writers of songs, you know, that you got to give them, you know, you give them a little leeway. And, and, and But there, there's one song. And this is just a personal pet peeve of mine. If this is your favorite song in the whole world, I apologize. But there's a song called Showers of Blessing. I think that's what it's called. And it talks about, and I don't even remember the whole song, but I know that in the chords it says, Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. And like I said, maybe it's just a me thing, but that bothers me a little bit. Mercy drops? Are you telling me that's all he's given us is mercy drops? He has bestowed upon us already a shower of blessing. And we need to be joyful in what God has done for us. We ought to be the most joyful people in the world. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord later on. Rejoice in the Lord when you get to heaven. Rejoice in the Lord when everything is going your way. Well, you know that's not what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And the son here had everything to rejoice about. He had all the blessings that his father had given him. And yet he could find no joy. We don't want to be like the older son, the older brother. We want to enjoy God's blessings here and now. We need to open our eyes and see the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. The son's attitude made him resentful. And because of it, he had missed out on all the joy that should have been accompanying or that it should have accompanied being a son of the father. Secondly... He overestimated his own goodness. 
The son also makes the statement. Did you catch that? I emphasized it, so I'm sure you caught it. I have slaved for you. And I have never disobeyed you. Seriously. I mean, at the very minimum, that's an exaggeration, right? More realistically, it's an outright lie. He probably had disobeyed his father. And he probably had done things that weren't exactly right. But he didn't understand that his inheritance was based on the father's goodness, the father's goodness, not his own. We can never earn God's grace. We can never put God in a position to owe us. And you see, that's what the son kind of felt like. Isn't that kind of what he said to the father? You owe me. I've been here all along. I've slaved for you. I've never disobeyed you. I've been the perfect little child. You owe me the fatted calf or the goat or whatever it is that he wanted. The father didn't owe him anything. God doesn't owe us anything. We are saved by the goodness and the grace of God. Not by our own goodness. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we're saved by grace through faith. And not of ourselves that anyone should boast. But it also goes on to say that we are saved for good works. Yeah, we do good works not in order to be saved. But because we are saved. You see, the, the, the son had it totally... Wacko. He had had it backwards. He was like, I'm doing all of this so that my father will owe me. But again, that's because he, he misunderstood what was going on. What it should have been is, look what my father has blessed me with. How can I not go work in the field or do the things that my father wants me to do because of the goodness that he has bestowed upon us? And he thought that he could just, you know, check off these things and do enough good. And I know, I know many of you grew up with the same kind of idea of how we're going to get to heaven. I know you did because I did. I just all, you know, we always just kind of assumed, right, that there was a scale here. You know, there was this, this balance. We do something good, you know. If this is good, I guess if we do something good, that goes down, right? Okay, that's the way the scale works. Yeah, I tried this in the junior high school class Wednesday and botched it. But anyway, you get the point. Do something bad, uh uh-oh. And we just hope and pray that at the end of our life, that when it comes down to it, that it tips the scale. No. That's... What Jesus was trying to fight his whole ministry. That was essentially the whole idea of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Well, if I just do these good things, then that's all right. It's all okay. We can never do enough good things to where God owes us anything. Now, we do good things because God has blessed us immensely. So he kind of overestimated his own goodness. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus said, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. And on that day, many will say to me, but, 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 but wait. We cast out demons. We did this. We did. Look at all the good things we got on this side. You remember what Jesus said he was going to say? I never knew you. Ooh, whoa. That's kind of serious. I never knew you. That's not, it's not about all the good things that we do. It's about accepting God's grace on faith as he has ordained. Now, thirdly, and I know that this is probably bad grammar. But not only did he overestimate his own goodness, he overestimated his brother's badness. I don't know if badness is a word. Spell check didn't spit it out, so we're going with it, okay? I think I broke my spell check, tell you the truth, or my grammar check, so I think that's why it doesn't work. But anyway, he overestimated his brother's badness. You see, he overestimated his own goodness, but then he turned right around and thought, my brother, look at what he has done. He squandered his wealth on prostitutes and riotous living and all those kinds of things. He's lived a life that is unworthy of having a party when he comes home. And like we talked about last week, he's right. He's right. The son did not deserve a party when he came home. The son did not deserve to be welcomed back as a son. The father had every right to slam the door in the son's face and say, you rebelled against me. You took the good that I gave you. You went out and you wasted it. You lived a life contrary to the way that my morals and and, and my standards and everything else. And so just go back to the pigs. Most of us would have felt like the father had every right to do that if that's what he chose to do. That that's what the son had actually earned. Going back to the parable of the workers in the field, the 11th hour workers, where we said, you know what? God isn't fair. And I, for one, thank God that he's not fair. For what is a sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what's fair. But God sent his son. And is filled with his, gives us his grace and his mercy. And he welcomes us back when we have a penitent heart. It doesn't matter all that we've done. I don't mean that it doesn't matter that there's not consequences. There are. But we can come back and God welcomes us back. And you see, the son, the, 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 the older son, he just, he just thought that, there, well, there has to be some kind of a sliding scale of badness. You know? Okay, if you want to say that I wasn't perfect and I did disobey you or whatever, well, you know, I'm just barely on the back side. Bubba is way down there on the bad scale. 
And it's not fair the way we're being treated. But bad is bad. Lost is lost. Dead is dead. And he never quite came to grips with that. He never quite understood it. He was resentful. He was angry. He was bitter. He was judgmental. And maybe you remember was it the first week we did this. I talked about that little acronym or whatever, FOMO. I asked y'all, how many of y'all knew what it was? And hardly nobody knew what it was. And, and it's a new thing, apparently, the fear of missing out. I don't know about you. But I have a feeling there was a little bit of that in the older brother too. Have you ever felt that way as a Christian? Yeah, I've done the right thing. I've done what else. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. But he got to have all the fun and come back. I kind of wish maybe I'd have gone and had a lot of fun and come back. I don't know that that's what was in the brother's mind. I, I, I kind of know that if I was the older brother, that would have been a little bit in my mind. That doesn't seem to be right. That he got to go off and live like that and come back. But you see, there again, that's, that's where Satan messes with our minds. Because I don't think the older brother would have wanted to be in the circumstance that the younger brother found himself in. When he was off starving to death and reaping what he had sowed. And so whatever it was, the, younger, the older brother had a wrong attitude. We need to be very careful about our attitude to those who have sinned and come back. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we had that really disgusting story about the man who was living with his father's wife. We're going to assume it was stepmother. Please. It's bad enough as it is without going beyond that. And you remember that Paul said to the church there at Corinth, what are you people thinking? This man is living with his father's wife and you're welcoming him in like he's just a regular part of the family, like nothing's wrong, like there's no, you know. He says, don't do that. You need to kick him out. You need to get rid of the man. Why? Because he's a wicked, evil person and you don't ever want to see him again? No. So that he will understand how serious what he's doing is. So that he will come to his senses like the younger brother. And so that he will realize that this is, this is detestable to God. And give it up and come back. And in 2 Corinthians... We have this interesting little story as well. Where apparently the man had done that. The man had given up that lifestyle. The man had come back to the church. And the people were still treating him like a heathen. The people still didn't want anything to do with him. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You missed the point. The point is to make him realize how serious it was. And then when he comes back, you welcome him back. You welcome him back. So that he feels the fellowship and the encouragement of the church family. Several years ago, several years ago, had a young woman who had grown up here at the church. And she had gone off and she had lived 
a rough, rough life. And she showed up to church one day. And so I went to meet her because she left early. You know how some people do? Didn't want to see anybody. Well, didn't work. I caught her. I ran her down. And I talked to her a little bit. And she said, I just don't know how comfortable I can feel in there. Because I think there will always be people who will look at me judgmentally, condemningly. And I told her, oh, you don't have to worry about that here. There's not a single soul who would do that. Everybody here is loving and perfect and nobody would ever look at you wrong and everybody will welcome you back with open arms. That's not what I told her. I wish, I wish I could have told her that. But I'm a realist. I know some of us. Notice I said us, not y'all, us. I know some of us. And I told her, look, I can't promise you that somebody's not going to look at you wrong. I can't promise you that somebody's not going to say something. I can't promise you that somebody's not going to be judgmental. I wish I could, but I can't. But that shouldn't keep you from coming back. But wouldn't it be great if we were a church family where I could make that promise? Where we could make that promise? You could make that promise to somebody you know? Well, then let's do it. Let's do it. It's what God calls us to do. How can we be harsher on sinners than God is? Are we too judgmental? Do we have a wait and see approach? Do we put people on probation? Do we judge people's motives? All these are things that the older brother did and drew the disappointment of the father. Fourthly, real quickly, he missed out on future joy. Jesus doesn't extend the story to include the older brother's reaction to the father's words. You know, the father says, oh, you know, everything you had was mine and we had to celebrate because this brother of yours, this son of mine was lost, he's found, he's dead, now he's alive. Don't you wish, kind of, that Jesus had gone on to tell us what the reaction of the older brother was to that? Well, we don't know. But I know what the reaction was prior to that. There is a party going on inside. And the older brother refused to go in. I'm not going in. I'm not going in. And I don't know, maybe I'm making more of the story. But remember that Jesus is trying to combat the attitudes of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And I kind of get the idea that Jesus is saying, you know what? You can do a lot of the right things. But if your attitude and your heart isn't right, 
when it comes to the big party at the end, you're liable to find yourself on the outside looking in. Now, I've got to tell you something. You know this already. I like to eat. And they have barbecued up the fatted calf. If it was a Texas Longhorn tailgate party and they invited me to eat, I'm eating. You got to be pretty resentful and bitter not to go into a party. But that's where the older brother found himself because of his attitude. If you've lived a life out there in rebellion to God, Jesus wants you to know that if you come back, God will take you back. Doesn't matter what you've done or how far you've gone. Now for the rest of us, Jesus is saying, and you welcome them back. And you don't be judgmental. And you don't question their motives. That's God's job. Not ours. If you're here this evening and we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.